Welcome to the family with Packmaster Ralph Toby Basham, MD. Soccer mom, Alex Brampernard Rasmussen. <laughs> and Andy Brampernard. We'll be right back, kick off hour two with the family. Hey, Tommy, still got the cone of silence? Why are we whispering? Because at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan, we're having a secret sale. I have a question. If it's a secret, how do people find out about it? Yeah, see your point. Missed it by that much. Okay, here's the deal. At Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we have our sign and drive, not one dime out of your pocket lease special on a new Rogue all-wheel drive or an Altima all-wheel drive. So it's a Walzer sign and drive, absolutely nothing out of pocket? Leave your checkbook, credit card, Venmo, PayPal, everything at home. Zip. So what's the payment? That's the secret part. Go to Coon Rapids Nissan or BurnsvilleNissan.com, type in KQRS in the search bar, and all shall be revealed. Seems like a lot of jacking around. Well, KQ listeners have been really good to us, so we thought this was a nice way to say thanks. Besides, winter's coming, and all-wheel drive will be really nice. Go to Coon Rapids Nissan or Burnsville Nissan and type in KQ. I guess that's not so bad. Wow, high praise. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Hour 2 with the family. Uh, okay, so Andy, Alex, 33, 31, give me your take on what uh, Jill had to say. No comment. Okay, no comment. Andy didn't agree with any of it. About what? Some of it. College, I 100% agree on. What's that? That it's too expensive, it's all corrupt, that it yeah. needs to be torn down and rebuilt. Okay, but I, am I wrong? But she said it was conservative politicians that are the problem, and then she blamed it all on Bill Clinton. Didn't she do? Didn't she say Bill Clinton? No, she said Bill Clinton unfettered Sally May or something. Yeah, that's that's what increased the tuition and triggered that sort of stuff. So that's what caused that. But she also mentioned that you know, oh, there were grants available. I had no grants available to me. Yeah. When I went to college, because my parents made too much money, oh, my, yeah. and my yeah. mother, they just so I was in an income at that time, and I and we lived, we, I we didn't live in a palatial state. It's just that both my parents worked; they were both professionals, and no, I had no access to that. I well, had none, zero. If you look at the cost of tuition for inflation, mm-hmm. it all does start right at 1981. So something happened Reagan. there. That's Ronnie Reagan. So something happened there, but nothing. It's a it's a geometric increase since then. It increased basically the same amount every year since then for the past forty years. Really? So he may have started the train, but no one has tried to stop it. So you do wonder about that because, yeah, if you look at it, every single year 
just about the same amount of increase, and it, it hasn't slowed down, it hasn't accelerated anything. So, well. so if, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you, you know, I, when I went to Arizona State University, I was an outstate resident, and it was $2,500 a year for outstate resident tuition. And I bet you you can't touch that for 25000 now. The one day that I went to college, I paid for a quarter. I only went one day. It was It was uh, not a quarter. It was a semester. What are they, two semesters? You paid yeah. for it and went one day? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, $900. For, no, that was for the year. It was not for the semester. It was for the whole year. It was 900 bucks a year when I when I went to the U. Well, that's I was just day. I was just looking at St. Kate's. So as a St. Kate's graduate, I can take a semester or a class per semester for free for the rest of my life. There you go. Um, and so I was looking at some classes, just like online, something yeah. fun, you know. And a master's program, a two-year master's program, now is. 30 credits, I think, and it was almost $900 per credit. Yikes. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah. ridiculous. I'm paying like, God. I uh, think, well, let's see. I did 31 credits this semester, and I paid $3,500. So. bucks, a little over 100 bucks. Yeah, because yeah, like Natalie, my friend who lives in Fargo, she's like, oh, I'll take one of the classes with you. Like, that would be fun to do together mm-hmm. because they're online and she lives in Fargo. So it would right. be like that. It'd be perfect. And I was like, yeah, it would be almost $4,000 for you to take yeah. a four credit class. <laughs> so basically, if we said that Ronald Reagan in 1981 did something to start all this, you can't just hang it on him because then Bill Clinton comes along with the Sally May. Is it Sally May? Is that who it is? I think so. Uh, unfettered, uh, therefore, you, here's the biggest problem with what Bill Clinton did. He made it impossible to file bankruptcy against your student loan. You cannot include your student loans in a bankruptcy, which means they would give you five times more money if you asked for it. Because if you can't file bankruptcy, there's no risk for them. Yeah, there's no risk. There's no risk of loss. Yeah, so he took the risk away. So all of a sudden, hey, we'll give you f- 50, 70, 90 grand a year if you want it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the tuition's going to go up because we're going to take because it. Because we're going to take it. That's exactly it. So, so you're going to have to take it. As long as there's demand, it's going to go up. And it could have been Jimmy Carter did something that was triggered then. That's true. That is true. Because Jimmy was there from 77 because, to 81. Because it was such yeah. a mess with, uh, with double di- digit inflation, double digit unemployment, double digit interest yeah. rates. Yeah, that was true. at the end of Carter's. Regime. Yep. It was, mm-hmm. The economy was a wreck. Well, I remember I, I met Catherine in 1980, I think I met her. Was it 88? I met her in 81. And I know that I, I at that time owned a home, but I could not get a mortgage for less than I think it was 15% interest. Yep. And uh, so I was paying, and this was, it was a nice house, but it wasn't that great a house. I think it was probably. I don't know how much it was back then. My payment was seven thousand dollars a month. Seven grand a month for just an average house. This was not a snazzy house at all. It was in Brooklyn Park, as a matter of fact. Not exactly your high tone area. Jeez. Seven grand a month. And back and the, then. And the other part of housing, so you know, part of housing, particularly in rental housing, if it's so high, it's because of taxes. Yep. 
That yeah, landlord is going to pass correct. taxes. So taxes have gone up because of social program. I mean, there's there's some. It's it's a it's not just a conservative problem. It's not just a liberal problem. This is an overall problem. It's it is, everybody's yes. responsibility. And see, that's my argument. I don't want to hear that it's the Democrats. I don't want to hear that it's Republicans. It's both of you. You're both sticking it to us, and you know you are. Mm. Uh, but people will choose. Uh, people love to pick sides. Yes, they do. That's why we have a two-party system instead of a bigger bigger group of people to choose from, because Americans particularly love to play for the home team, man. They just love it. And that's why we have sports. And that's sports. Why, yeah. It's exact. It's a it parallel sport. to sports. It is. Absolutely. It's a parallel to sports. It's the same exact thing. I'm with the winner. That's all I know. And even though I'm with the winning party because we're not being treated well, I'm a victim. So I got to be a winner and a victim. That's right. Who's a caller? Wendy. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. I'm never going to stop doing that. Clearly. What's up, sister? That's okay. You know, I I think I would actually be sad if you didn't. I'm used to it. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. You know, for school, I I mean, I can speak from pretty recent experience. I mean, me graduating a couple years ago and my daughter just graduating in the fall. And, okay, you know, I know or last fall, part of the problem is, and this is something I just kind of roll my eyes about, is that one of the things that makes college so expensive is that universities, instead of investing in programs and you know, things like that and making things affordable for students. They're like, oh, hey, we want to build this really expensive new building and how are we going to pay for it? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we have monthly fees that the students have to pay. They don't count it in the tuition. What they do is they say, oh, we have these fees that you have to pay every month. My daughter had 10 different fees that she had to pay at just a state university in Wisconsin. And they were all for different projects, some of which she never used. And but they're making students pay for all of them like that, and it added up to a fair amount of money. Oh God, yes, absolutely. Oh, you know, books? and on a four-year degree, yeah, oh, books. And on a, on a four-year on a four-year degree, this is totally me. They do not need like the first two years. They have you know your generals. I don't think they need as many generals as they have. I mean, I know that yeah. they say they do it to make well-rounded students, but. You know, I took a world religions philosophy for the only reason, because I had to fulfill that humanities thing. I mean, I think I would have appreciated more classes actually on my major mm-hmm. than, you know, underwater basket weaving. <laughs> well, just, just me. Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? But It's understandable. That's how they get their money. Well, and even though we paid half for the daughter's college, she still has like over $30,000 that she has to pay. Oh, God. And it's, it is unbelievable. It's like, wait a second. This is, it's a state university. The tuition was cheap, but she lived on campus, which, you know, it served its purpose. And it was just, I just kept looking and thinking, well, you know, you don't want to ask what more can you charge me for because I'll think of something. Yeah, well, that's yeah. very, very true. Yeah, yeah the, but the other choice in education, is not going to the university for the first two years or even three years. I have I have three people in my family, my wife, son, and daughter. They went to uh, junior college in L.A., which was virtually free, virtually free. And they finished their first yeah, two years there and then transferred. That's what I did for mine. 
I, I did, uh, you know, shout out for anybody. The, you know, the local community colleges around here, they mm-hmm. really are good. You know, so I got my associate's degree and I transferred. But, you know, with the daughter, she has, you know, the Asperger's autism issues. So it provided the service that she lived on campus and it really helped for socialization for her. So that that's an investment well spent for us. But for me, I tried to save money wherever I could. And some of the classes you had to take just because they wanted a well-rounded student it were ridiculous. And, you know, then people ask you, what did you learn, you know, on that degree? I mean, I graduated with a 4.0. And they're like, oh, what did you learn? And it's honestly, I'm just as smart as I thought I was. You know, That's pretty much it. You pretty much don't need all the universities that we have. We probably get by with 10 universities. Yeah. And if they, they start applying 21st, 21st century solutions to this uh, 19th century, or no, not a 19th, 17th century problem, you know, what they should do That's is if these sure. classes should be online. Virtually all of them should be online. A professor can lecture mm-hmm. to 100 people. He can lecture to 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's the same words. Mm-hmm. They can take the same well, test. You know, the, the, te- the tests can be standardized. You know, you know, the funniest part of it is they charge more for online classes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that so I much. I couldn't believe it. I'm <laughs> like, why do you charge more for online classes? They they charge up to 20% more for online oh classes. Oh, my God, what a scam. Because I know, I know. I was paying, like, almost, I was paying, uh, like, in the college that I finished my degree at, which will go unnamed, um, they were charging, like, 20% more. And I said, why are you charging so much money? For these classes well you know we have these technology fees and i said how much different is that than the electricity and the heat that you have to use in the building these should not be higher and they said what they did was because the online classes can be taken with people from out of state they kind mm. of took the out of state and the in-state and they averaged it and i said no that's not right either what an amazing story all right, sister. Yeah, I need to run my own college. I'm in the wrong racket. Yeah, that's true. We don't become billionaires, maybe mm-hmm. trillionaires. No kidding. All right. Well, y'all have a good day now. You too, Wendy. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye. Wendy calling in. We'll be right back in a couple of seconds with the family. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure to be with you. One thing we keep talking about is that North American Banking Company is a community bank. Why is that important? Well, two things. First, as a locally owned and operated bank, we move quickly for our customers when it matters most. You're not waiting for a loan decision to come out of state or making the decision right here at your home. Secondly, our customers appreciate the fact that we get to know them and understand their goals. For many of our customers, we're coaches, mentors, and sometimes sounding boards for their ideas. It's hard to get that from a big bank, but it's something we do just because it's Tuesday. Well, that sounds like a great way to do business. All of our employees are working to help meet your business needs. It's how we create loyalty. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. What is that song? Rock and Roll Doctor. Rock and roll, doctor. Okay, we're going to get to um, 
In just a couple of seconds, we want to talk for a bit about Veterans Airlift Command because it was a very oh, cool yeah. thing. We'll oh, talk yeah. about that in a second. But I want to bring one thing up. There's a question I have. Once again, I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. I don't have, I'm not taking sides politically in this at all, but I do have a question. Uh, Jill just threw out the stat that black, black youth do worse now as far as housing is concerned mm-hmm. than they did 70 years ago. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 70 years ago, they also started, they changed their party, went from Republican to Democrat, and have made no gains whatsoever in that 70 years, according to Jill. Right? They've lost. They've lost. They've lost position. Why do you keep voting for the same party if they've done nothing? And I'm not saying that Republicans did anything for you before that. I'm not saying that at all. But why do you keep voting for a party that does nothing for you? I, I'll never understand why blacks keep. I, why do they all vote Democrat? I don't get it. Nor do I. I mean, I, I'm not trying, you know, blasting the Democratic Party, but, but I, I'm sorry. I looked at it 70 years now. They've been promising and promising and promising, and nothing ever happens. Well, black homeownership is another symptom of increased urbanization. Yeah, that's true. You know, everyone's yep. flocking to the cities. Yep. Prices are going up. You know, anyone can afford a house an hour and a half out of the city because they're yeah. all super cheap because no one right, wants them right. but no one is willing to go out there and live the way that their grandparents did you know far away from everything every time you wanted to go right. to the store you had to you know drive an hour no one wants to do that but the downside to not doing that is the fact that you're paying more so right you can choose if you can people say it's like you know my ancestors paid so little for housing but, well, yeah, but you're not living anywhere near the way they are, so why are you comparing the two? I know. I just don't understand why, why that's even uh, compared. I did, I, I did like Jill. She made a couple of good points, a couple of things I didn't agree with. But, but I find it interesting that when I ask questions like, why do black people still vote Democrat, they think, oh, my God, you're conservative and you're always – no, I'm not. I'm asking you a question that uh, you're convinced that, that the Democrats are going to bring you out of whatever situation you're in, and they've never done it, so why do you keep thinking that? And I've, 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 I've thought the same thing about uh, the Jewish vote. Typically that leads liberal. It does, yeah. Yet, the Ashkenazis do. Yep. Yet, but the uh, Orthodox tend not to. They tend not to. Because oh, really? The Orthodox, oh, yeah, the Orthodox tend to vote Republican. Well, Ashkenazis are, I don't know about the statistics, but a lot of them are secular. They're not even really religious in any way. Right. So, of course, they're going to vote for the anti-religion party. But, but it, it, oh, for the anti-religion party? Mm-hmm. It's basically what the Democrats are. They hate religion. Yep. So, so if, the Ashkenazis should vote Republican? No. Yes, the Ashkenazis aren't religious. They're okay, secular. they're not religious. They're secular. They're secular. They're very secular. Okay, so that's not. They're not really a religion. You can't really. You shouldn't call them as religion. They're, exactly. It's an ethnicity. It's not. An uh, okay, there you go. They can there call you them Jew-ish. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> 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 get it? Oh God! Get it? He thinks he's Jewish. so funny. It's a Jewish joke. Come on. I get it. Okay, never mind. Ralph. <laughs> Ralph <laughs> likes it. Thinks it's great. See, you're not really a Jew, but I'm Jew-ish. See, get it? You like? I'll ask Tony Lee tomorrow morning. Oh, be great. God bless him. God but, bless him. But, but again, but you but, vote from whomever you want to vote for. It's your business. But you, it's the same arguments every four years, and nothing ever changes. Yeah. And is, we keep repeating the same behavior every four years, <laughs> and nothing ever happens. That's right. So whose fault is that? Our own. 
That's who. The voting pattern recognition. Yep. Very, very bad at it. Okay, I got to mention this yesterday. To be on the tarmac out at uh, out at Premier at Flying Cloud Mm -hmm. with four generations of people standing on the tarmac, this beautiful (laughs) jet comes. Doug Sprinthal saw the picture, and he goes. How did your father-in-law, when did he get a G5? And I'm like, he doesn't have a G5. <laughs> it's a place. Now, Don, and I didn't know this until Thanksgiving. I never knew. I knew that he got injured, that he got got wounded in yep. World War II. That I always I thought he was shot. He was shot and it was a shrapnel. It was mortar shrapnel. In the mortar shrapnel, butt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to get shot, back. that's in where to get shot. Yep. I thought it was in the back, too. Yeah, probably. I just know he has a shrapnel butt. Well, shrapnel tends to hit multiple places. Yeah, yeah, shrapnel kind of is all pieces. over. It's a whole yeah. idea. I'm yeah. talking about the shot. So it was a bomb. A bomb went off and he got the shrapnel from the bomb. Yeah. A mortar. A mortar. Yeah, there you go. Mortar. So Don, who's 93 years old, uh, moved back here from Arizona. And Alex and Andy's mom, Catherine, worked like a dog getting this thing going. Maybe she you've worked heard of her. Maybe you've heard of Catherine, I'm not sure. <laughs> but she worked very, very hard to get this done. So we got uh, all of the Brandt families out there. Andy and Melissa are there. And, of course, Alex and Fawny are there. Well, we weren't even, I wasn't even going to be able to be there, but then mm-hmm. I could. Luckily, it worked out. So this plane comes, and first of all, it, it comes from, from west to east. And as it goes by in the distance, I go, there's his airplane right there. And everybody went, no, no, that's a commercial jet. And I said, no, it's not. That's how big that jet is. <laughs> so there you it go. It wasn't that big. It it's was big. a damn nice. I think it was a nine-seater. It was a nine-seater, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah but it could be a you know, could be a 30-seater. Uh, yeah. You've You're seen really the size wasn't. of the seats. It wasn't and how far a G5. Apart they are. It wasn't a G5. <laughs> what was it? It was a big jet. It was it a, a Citation, I think. Okay. Citation something, yeah. But in any case, uh, I have the tail number. True. I can look it up. Yeah. And this is Alex's fault, Melissa by the does. way. Partly. Sure. Partly Alex's fault. So what? Uh, the plane lands, the pilot gets off, The well, the co-pilot gets off, then the pilot gets off, and then as Don's getting off the airplane, I look over and Alex is all teary-eyed, so then I get all teary-eyed. I cried when he landed. I know. I tried your twice. Fault. I cried twice. This is your fault that I teared up. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't inherit that whole thing from you anyway. <laughs> you think it's from your mom? God. You're saying that I'm an emotional guy? Is that yeah, what you're saying? maybe a little Tommy bit. Tommy gets a little emotional <laughs> once in a while. Sometimes. But to witness a 93-year-old man getting off an airplane, I did not know until last Thanksgiving, and I only knew then because I saw the plaque. I had never seen this plaque. He got every medal except pretty much the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was, He still, he's got the Purple Heart because he was, you know, the mortar round that hit him uh, put the shrapnel all mm-hmm. up his back and in his butt cheeks or whatever, yeah. wherever it is. Oh, but the butt cheek ones they could take out. It's the ones in his back. They can't, they, they're still in there, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Usually they just leave them in unless they Oh, have do they to. really? Yeah. yeah, once it heals, it might as well stay in. doesn't hurt you. Yeah. yeah. I suppose. But uh, he gets off the airplane. <clears throat> so Kat, Alex and I are called a little teary-eyed. And then the, the pilot points to the co-pilot and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to introduce my co-pilot. He was a POW in Vietnam. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I can take this anymore. Yeah. So this guy could not have been a nicer guy. 
I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. The place is, again, it's called Veterans Airlift <laughs> Command. It's veteransairlift.org mm-hmm. if you want to donate. They pick these veterans up for free and fly them wherever you need yeah, them to no take. No cost to the veterans mm-hmm. No or cost their to the veteran or their this, family. This guy owned... Un- Believe the pilot owned the airplane. It was his yep. airplane. Yep. And he lives somewhere in Arizona where he can just like go on his airplane and like out his back door yep. apparently and fly it. And he does four trips a year for this Veterans Airlift Command. And that was one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, to those people, World War II vets are like the legends. Oh, God, mm-hmm. yes. So they love being able to help World War II vets because yep. there's not a whole lot of them left. No, God, 93. Well, Don was 16 when he went in, so that yep. shows you how young. He's probably the youngest one out there He's now. one of yep. the youngest World War II vets. Well, I just sure. got so emotional because it's been such a long time coming, and we yeah, thought he was going to move here in like April, and then that didn't happen. And, and then, yeah. yeah, and COVID, and he's been stuck in that horrible place he was living by himself. He can't have any guests. His wife dies at the very beginning and of COVID. And he gets COVID. to look at that every day where and she living died. In the like, same, oh yeah, I know. I'm just like, he's just Ugh. been in such a horrible situation, and it's. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. We're not very humane with regards to our elderly. No, no oh, we, we can't go not. touch them. We can't go hug them or anything. Oh, we can't hug your. You can't hug your father who has dementia. Oh my God, he might die. He might yeah. get COVID. Oh, he might get COVID. Oh, gee, don't touch him. I mean, it's just yeah. So I know it's. We all hugged him. <laughs> we all. Yeah, everybody hugged we're all, him. Yeah. Well, let's hugging see. him. The last year, Fond they enlisted. Him a pat on the shoulder. She patted him on the shoulder. <laughs> the last World War II vet would have enlisted in what forty-five? Yes. So that was seventy-five years ago. So you know, if you He's enlisted 90. in the last year, it. He's ninety-three. At the age yeah. of sixteen, then yeah, you'd be ninety-one. Ninety-one. Now. So I mean, technically. They probably could have. They they probably got a couple of fourteen year olds in there, so maybe eighty nine for the youngest yeah, World War Two vet living. Yeah. So Don, uh, sixteen go. years old, gets sent to uh, Europe <clears throat> to free the death camps at mm-hmm. sixteen years old. Yeah. Like, Can yeah, you imagine fun. seeing nope. that when you're sixteen? No. no. Corpses everywhere. Well, you don't. I think that any <sighs> any time any kind of major action like that. I mean the. Uh, you do not want to know what it's like. No. That, that, that's no, a scar don't. that's left on these people. And the things that you see are just, you don't want to see. I mean, you don't want to know about. And, you know, they, they, they try to do these movies. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's just, oh, this is the way it really is. And they try to make them as violent as possible. Pfft, it ain't 10% of what it is. No. You no. can't show. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah, you can't show that on the screen. You know. Would, well, the youngest person to ever enlist in World War II was 12 years old. Oh, what? Yeah. 12? Yeah. Is that the, from the Hitler Youth? Because yeah, a lot of the Hitler Youth. Hitler, 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 Jesus. Yeah, you would think that they would have seen him and been like, you're clearly 12. But He'd only be 90 now. He's probably still alive unless he got killed in a war. He died quite some time ago. Oh, did he really? Yes. I suppose. Well, if you have it in you, ladies and gentlemen, veteransairlift.org, even if you want to leave him a buck, that would be great because these guys spend – that flight had to cost 15 Gs per, per wing, I would, I would say. And then he flew my uncle – 
back to Arizona, back to Arizona with to him. The, yeah, yep. with him. So basically, about fifteen grand to get here and fifteen grand to get back. That'd be my. That's me guessing. I don't know for sure. Whatever, that, whatever the the maintenance on the plane and the gasoline, yep. fuel is fuel. quite expensive. Yeah, but they are heroes. There's no doubt about it. We get the the uh, the Vietnam Vietnam War POW. You got Don is ecstatic to be back. The pilot could not have been a nicer guy. So thank you they again. They took pictures of us. Yeah, he did. They took pictures with him. <laughs> they did indeed. Well, here we go. Uh, the G550. So how long was that flight? Three hours? About three hours. A little Ish, over three hours, yeah. probably. Were it to be a G550, it would have burned 1,200 gallons in that time. Wait a minute. 1,200 gallons? Yeah. And it's six bucks a gallon? Uh, I don't know how much jet fuel is, but that's probably about right. So just the fuel alone would have been $15,000. Yeah, <laughs> just about fifteen thousand dollars for the fuel Holy that there and God. back. Yeah, that's a fuel. That's, that's yeah. just the fuel. It's a lot of fuel. Woo! It wasn't a G five though. It wasn't, but no, it was not. You know, it was something like that. Well, you don't get a much better gas mileage with a citation. No, yeah. no, no citation. Don't. Oh, you know, we're going to give you, a, we're going to give you a half mile per gallon, not a quarter mile per gallon. Yeah. We're going to give you a half mile per gallon. Jets yeah. do gallons per hour. Because they do gallons per hour, yeah. Miles per gallon is a meaningless. Yeah. Isn't it like six gallons per minute or something? <laughs> I think it's a lot. Oh God, it was. Uh, it's a lot. Four hundred gallons per hour. Four hundred gallons an hour. I know. Twelve hundred gallons. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, they brought a tanker truck out to fill up the plane, and Fawn was like, "It's a tanker truck." She was all excited about the tanker truck. She has a book about a tanker truck that goes. Well, it's a little boy that has a toy tanker truck, and then he imagines if he were to drive a tanker truck, and then it talks about how most tanker trucks are started as dairy trucks. Oh, really? And it goes, yeah, they start as dairy <clears throat> trucks, and um, what? Yeah. That's, that's not true. I don't, that's, that's not true. I well, don't know. Great story. If not you want true. to feel bad about flying, here's a quick quiz before we go to our break. Okay. All right, here we go. How quiz. long do you think it takes a 747 to burn a gallon of fuel? Five seconds. Less than that. Less than that. A millisecond. No. <laughs> one second. One second to gallon burn a gallon. per of, second. Oh, my God. A gallon so on a three-hour flight, second. you're burning a little fuel. Like going, to, going to Europe? <laughs> three hours, oh. that would burn about 11,000 gallons of fuel. 11,000 gallons. $66,000 worth of gas. Yeah, that's one reason I'm trying to fly less. Good plan. But, but it's actually a carbon footprint and fuel usage is more with a car. Yeah. Well, if you were to drive all the way down there, I'm just saying travel less in general. Yeah. We will take a break. Be right back. Special guest up next with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. 
Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. It only works for me, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back rehumanizing the workplace, future-proofing your organization while restoring hope, well-being, and performance. Rosie Ward, I am I am really missing hope, well-being, and performance these days, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? Oh, yeah. my God. I was just talking because I do a morning show in town as well, and I was talking about on my morning show this morning, I've gotten to the point now after four or five months, whatever it's been, I wake up in the morning and go, we still have this? <laughs> oh, God, whether it's the, the COVID or, or Black Lives Matter or the election or what. Uh, Rosie, I can't take much more. I know. Don't you feel like you're in one of those bad infomercials in the 90s? But wait, there's more. <laughs> but, but wait, there's more. Yeah, it's just wonderful, isn't it? Um <laughs> In any case, rehumanizing. What do you mean by rehumanizing the workplace? Yeah, well, in many cases, some people say, was it ever really human? But there uh-huh. are really great workplaces that, that have been human and have been paving the way for decades and outperforming their counterparts. And it's really about how do we get back to that or organizations that lost their way or never found their way? How do they learn from these organizations that really are putting humanity back at the forefront and honoring the complexity and messiness of what it means to be human rather than treating people like they're predictable, controllable machines. You know, Rosie, what I have to do is ask our, one of our listeners, Wendy, to call in, because if Wendy was talking to you, it would sound like you were each talking to yourselves. Yeah, a little oh, bit. Oh, funny. <laughs> you too. Your voices sound very similar. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Wendy, call in and ask a question. <laughs> she my, is she my voice doppelganger? That's awesome. Yeah, she's your voice doppelganger. Exactly. I think it's wonderful. Uh, in any case, business must reinvent the workplace post-COVID-19. Oh, you're based in Minneapolis? I am, yeah. Oh, Rosie, wonderful. No wonder you sound like a Minnesotan. <laughs> that all works out in the end. It does, it does. Okay, so imagine a world where everyone can come to work as their uh, authentically human best selves. They feel fulfilled, supported, and cared for. Wait a minute, Rosie, you're leading me down the primrose path here. This sounds way too good. It does, but you know what? It's not fiction. It's not unicorns. It's not rainbows. So uh, there are amazing workplaces that we feature in our book that we've been really fortunate to work with that really put a lot of intentionality into their leadership, into their culture, into their purpose, where is it all unicorns and rainbows? No, but um, do they constantly work to get better? Do people feel fulfilled? Are people knocking down their doors to work there? Do people actually love their work? Yeah, and and we need more of that, and especially I think if COVID has taught us anything, I mean, yes, people want to be employed, but people, I think it's reshifted priorities, and people are looking at what is important and what matters, and what do they want to put up with. You know, that makes total, I I think the the key point for me in that is what matters. I'm trying at this point in my life to, to pay most attention to what actually does matter. Is that a good idea? Yeah, I, I think for all of us, regardless of our age, I think when we get clarity of what matters to us, we can put our energy in the right spot and not give energy where 
it, it isn't productive and it isn't helpful. Yes, and that's the whole deal. Being, Are we productive as a society right now? That's another question. We've got to be somewhat productive, but we're nowhere near our top ability to be productive, are we? I don't think so. And I also think there's a huge difference between being productive and being effective. So I yeah, think a lot yeah. of times people are working harder and you hear people that are working from home, they're working more hours, they're taking less breaks. And they're like, oh, I'm super productive. But it comes at a cost. And I think that we have to think about, are we actually being effective? And I, and I, I would suggest that that's more important than just how productive we are. Yeah, that does make sense. You know, Rosie, once in a while, I think back, I'm in my 36th year on the KQ Morning Show now, and I look back over the 36 years or 35 years going in, you know, the 36 year now. But I look back and I think to myself, if I had not allowed all these different people into talking me into things, I'd have a much better life. You know, how do you, how do you avoid that, Rosie, that you're on a great path, you're really doing well, and then all of a sudden, whether it's, you know, the general manager or whomever, oh, this is a great idea. And you go, that's really a bad idea. But they go, well, I'm the general manager, and you go, oh, well, whatever. You know, over the years, there are at least four or five instances on that show where if I said, no, you're not doing that, we'd have been much better off. But, but because, I don't know, maybe I thought I was all powerful or something and could even overcome their stupidity. Turns out it's really hard to do. Really hard to do. Yeah, well, you know, and let's be honest, nobody's perfect and we all make mistakes, but I think part of it is do you take the learning from that, right? And I and I don't know about you, but I think about every stupid mistake I've made or every misstep I've made. Right. If I've used it to learn and grow and, and become better, and sometimes you can go, look back and go, wow, that was dumb, but did I learn from it and has it helped shape who I am now? Absolutely. And so... I think that if we think we're going to be without bumps and bruises, then we're a robot or we're superhuman. We're not an actual real human being, right? And so, right. Uh, yeah, so I think, it's, I think it's what do you do with those? And let's be honest, there are some environments that aren't human. They are cultures of fear and people can't speak up. And that's not, that's not good either, right? You need to have an environment where you can say, let's talk about this because if it's really detrimental, do we really want to take that risk? And sometimes you do want to take a risk, but if you can't, you don't have a safe environment where people can have those honest, authentic conversations. That doesn't help anybody. Okay, so Rosie, I'm working for you, and you, Rosie Ward, come and say, Tom, we're going to rehumanize the workplace, uh, future-proof our organization while restoring hope, well-being, and performance. What can I expect from you as a, as a, a worker? Well, yeah, as a worker, first of all, I mean, we have a very small company, but I obviously try to get to know my people on a personal level and find out what makes them tick and what's the work that fulfills them and what work drains them and where can they shine and where do they want to learn and where do they want to grow. And I think if we can do that with our people, we're going to we're gonna unleash what's best in people. And I don't think we ask those questions enough of, of what, what are people interested in, what do they enjoy, what fulfills them, what drains them. We also have to have a clear company purpose, and so our purpose, not surprising given our book title, is to rehumanize the workplace so people can bring their best selves to work and home each day. And so we look at everything of what products, what services, what workshops, what consulting work, what speaking engagements can we do that can help further that purpose. And I think that organizations that have that clear sense of purpose and people know what it is, and it's not just words on a wall, and they know how they fit into it, and they know how they can further it, contribute it. People want to belong. They want to feel part of something, and they want to be able to bring that forward. And and that that is worth so much to people. I mean, not that they don't want a fair pay, but that's worth way more than a paycheck for people. 
know what amazes me? We were talking about this earlier today, Rosie, is that, you know, back, I, I've always liked the slogan, do no harm. You know, they yeah. talk about this, that, and the other thing, but do no harm. Yeah. Uh, we left that back in the d- dusty trail many, many, many d- decades ago. Uh, uh, an example of that would be Amazon. Amazon, we pay for the shipping of their packages. We, the taxpayers. How that ever happened, how that was allowed to happen, I will never understand. So this man gets away with murder, and I understand that he he's one of the lowest-paying guys in the business. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And by the business, I mean big tech. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if he's the lowest, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of different business models that that uh, don't necessarily treat their people well pay their people well, um, but then there's so many good businesses that are completely operating counter to that, and mm-hmm. guess what? They're all performing the S&P 500 by a 14 to 1. So there's, there's something great. to be said for doing different, doing business differently and better. See, I think that's wonderful news. I had no idea that was true. I'm really glad I asked you that question, because it's not all about just you being a trillionaire. It's about you're a billionaire. You're very fortunate. Why don't we take care of of everybody now, I'm in a position that everyone who comes in the front door of any Amazon in the world is going to do really well because I did really well. We're going to share it. We're going to do no harm. My people are going to make really good money, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's all about lifting lifting up others. And yep. when you look when you look at the the for profit companies, because there's some the publicly traded, not there's some that are privately held. But when you look at these organizations, and it's not just in the U.S. globally, they did research in Brazil on these companies, and yeah, they offer they operate completely counter to business as usual, and yet their numbers blow their competition out of the water. And so I think when we shift from a numbers focus to a stakeholder, culture, purpose, human focus, the numbers actually serve us well. See, I think that's that's terrific. So, Rosie, what is your background? You're very smart. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, no, Rosie, yeah, you're an no. idiot. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so I have a, my background is in uh, kinesiology and public health for my first two degrees, and then I have a PhD in organization management, so I'm all about kind of fusing individual well-being with organizational health and well-being. Aren't you the one, as they want All right. <laughs> and you know what? I have to, So you know what, Tom? I have to tell you that, like, we have a really small history. Like, 20 years ago, you had a segment on your morning show where you wanted people to write in with Richard names or Dick names. <laughs> and you were <laughs> and, one of them? And I wrote in with one, and I said my dad worked with somebody named Richard Cox, and you wrote, you read it on the air, and that was so unfortunate, and I want a Sam Adams prize pack. So there we go. <laughs> you want a Sam Adams prize pack? <laughs> I did. That's amazing. <laughs> Rosie, you're the best. That's are you booked? On, are you booked on the morning show to, to talk about your book? But I should be. Yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you booked. I'd love to talk to you on the morning show as well, especially. Although I will not call you Rosie, I'm just going to call you Dick or something. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a Sam Adams prize. Maybe you'll get a Sam Adams prize pack, Rosie. <laughs> I'll get you booked. Thank you. I'll just reach out this uh, this uh, number at the top here. This is what I'll do. The it's a nine seven eight number. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'll have him reach out to you, Rosie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Rosie Ward, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Rehumanizing the Workplace, Future-Proofing Your Organization While Restoring Hope, Well-Being, and Performance. God, she was a very smart woman. Wendy said, she does sound like me, mm-hmm. doesn't she? She does. Why didn't you call in, Wendy, you pill? She's, probably, she's worried. Like I want to hear her talking to herself. That Lunch would have been the greatest. Over.
Well, that's oh, all of a sudden the lunch break's over at 12.58. I like it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.